Good morning, she beamed. What a lovely day. I have an appointment with the Viceroy, Lord Curzon. She presented to him the letter in which the Viceroy's secretary had confirmed the appointment, and waited courteously while the man looked at it, certainly more impressed by the crest at the top of the notepaper rather than its contents, for it was most unlikely that he could read. If, however, he was unimpressed by the fact that the Mem Saib had not been driven up in style under the archway and through the grounds of the palace like most of its visitors, he gave no sign. Springing smartly to attention and saluting, he gestured down the drive. Entrance to house is straight ahead, madam. You will be escorted. He turned and barked an order to a younger but equally resplendent Sikh who had materialized as if by magic and saluted again. Alice nodded her thanks and fell in behind her escort, marveling at his erect bearing and the vivid colors of his sashed uniform and towering turban. As she walked, treading delicately and slowly on the gravel so as not to perspire unbecomingly, she reflected once again on the essential colorfulness of all things Indian. Not, mind you, the eternal grayness of the hills and ravines of the northwest frontier, where she and her husband Simon had fought in the great Parthen revolt some six years before, but here in the heart of the subcontinent, where in the cities and villages the bazaars and streets buzzed with life and brilliance. There, long swathes of cotton and gauze were invariably draped on display in hues which sang the skills of the dyer, garishly coloured dishes. Almond curd, balushai sweetmeats, boluses of spiced mutton, gleaming piles of white rice stirred the taste buds. The brilliant saris and salwar kameezes of the women complemented the trinkets of silver, turquoise, and even gold that they inspected so contemptuously on the stalls. And the evocative smells everywhere. Even now, as she walked towards Government House, soft fragrances of tea and spices wafted towards her from the Huli River. Alice folded her parasol as she and her escort reached the house itself. The young Sikh murmured something in Hindi to the equally sumptuously caparisoned soldier at the door who stood on guard, sabre resting on his shoulder. She tried to recall how many men were in the Viceroy's personal bodyguard. As many as four hundred, wasn't it? And then she was ushered into the blessed cool of a gigantic hallway. Blinking to become accustomed to the shade, she caught glimpses of tall rooms gilded with marble, mahogany, gold, velvet, and silk beneath huge crystal chandeliers before a slim young Englishman in grey morning coat came striding towards her. "'Ah, Miss Griffith, good morning,' he called as he approached, his hand outstretched. Alice paused for a moment, then realized that, of course, as a correspondent of the Morning Post, she had used her maiden name. She extended her white-gloved hand, and the young man bowed low over it. "'Willoughby, ma'am,' he said, "'the Viceroy's second secretary. His lordship is expecting you, of course. Did you have a pleasant journey?' 
What? Oh, from Sipsagar, you mean. Yes, thank you. The worst part was getting to the town. From there, it took two days by rail, of course, but the train, though slow, was well on time. Sometimes we feel that Assam is rather a forgotten part of India, you know. We are rather remote. Willoughby smiled, revealing a flash of white teeth beneath his luxurious moustache. Oh, good gracious, no. The subcontinent would be virtually nothing without its tea. And indeed, so would England, don't you know? You tea growers are certainly not forgotten here in Calcutta, ma'am. I assure you of that. As they chatted inconsequentially, the secretary led her through what seemed like a succession of marbled halls, and Alice was conscious of turbaned attendants, their white robes slashed diagonally with scarlet sashes, bowing low like all...